We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, guys? Let me get my wide shot here. Excited for today's show. I have Stuart Gibson here from Advanced Sports Analytics. I love watching his shows with Blender and sometimes Brandon Adams each week talking about correlations on the slate. I think it's one of the most useful and actionable things to focus on for DFS. So I said, I got to get Stuart on. Stuart, how are we doing, buddy? Doing all right. Uh, You know, had a good show yesterday with Blender. I think he is uh, a good resource for me to kind of get my head right for the week ahead. you know, doing some work on Thursday and Friday to prepare our uh, tools and content. And uh, yeah, hoping this will kind of further get me prepared for uh, week 13. And uh, yeah, also to ha- happy to discuss kind of some macro uh, thoughts around correlation, which I know we talk a lot about, uh, Blender and I do on that show. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of gl- gloss over the the macro concepts, but I think it's, you know, be useful to kind of discuss the the concepts at large and kind of how they can be applied to not only the specific slated hand, but just, uh, you know, DFS slates in general. For sure. Yeah. So what we're thinking for today is we're going to start uh, macro with, you know, some general ideas of, of correlation, how it works, what are, uh, you know, strong positive correlations, and then we can get more into specifics. We got screen shares going, advanced sports analytics has a great player correlation app. So later in the show, we can look at a few maybe specific examples of players you guys have uh, curiosities about as, as far as how they correlate. And then we also have Stewart's week 13 stack spreadsheet, which I get each week in their sub stack and is very valuable for kind of seeing how this correlation fits into the larger picture with ownership in price, which is, you know, ultimately the puzzle piece we're trying to put together here. But let's just, let's start right at the top, Stuart. For people, we hear this term bandied about correlation. I think people basically understand it, but why don't we just start with kind of when you hear that name, how, how do you describe it to people? 
Yeah. So, I mean, correlation is a mathematical principle that uh, essentially quantifies how two like vectors relate to one another. Uh, you know, how how indicative is vector A of the uh, you know value of vector B when paired together? So, in DFS context, like those two vectors are just players' fantasy points. You know, week over week, and we're able to match up those uh you know those two vectors or you know probably people call them like game logs for example and you know we're able to produce like this xy scatter uh, or xy relationship of how uh two sets relate to one another and correlation is just a catch-all linear metric it's worth noting that it's a linear uh metric as opposed to you know some sort of non-linear like exponential metric um and it's i think just a good way to understand how uh sets of players interact with one another uh you know sometimes we have these positively correlated sets that we discuss where uh the performance of you know player x is indicative of similar performance relative to player y's norm for player y and negative correlation uh means that you know when player x performs well or performs poorly uh typically player y performs the opposite and then we have like neutral or you know zero correlation where you know, there's essentially no discernible linear relationship. I'm trying on my screen to find there's like a classic um, like correlation set of scatter plots that just like clearly show kind of what, um, but I'm not able to find it on Google quickly. Um, oh, yes, here, if you want to pull up my screen and we could just like look at this uh, image here. Well, shoot, that's kind of small. Um, you, you might be able to zoom in on it, and I can go full screen here. Okay. Yeah, it's just hard to read the numbers. Okay. Um, there we go. Okay. So, you know, correlation is this metric that ranges between zero, uh, I'm sorry, negative one and positive one. Uh, you know, zero being essentially neutral correlation or no correlation, one being exceptionally positive, where the outcome of X is perfectly indicative of the outcome of Y. A negative one is the same. You know, the outcome of X is perfectly indicative of the outcome of Y, uh, but just in the negative direction. So we can see in this kind of set of scatter plots, like we have, um, you know, if we imagine that this is a scatter of X being, uh, you know, fantasy points scored by, you know, a certain player, quarterback, a specific quarterback. And the Y values in these scatter plots are, you know, performance of player Y. You know, we have these like zero correlation examples. So I'm looking at this uh, one that's just like a cloud of data points, right? Like, you know, if player X performs to the right of this cloud when looking at it horizontally, it doesn't really give us like much indication as to our expectation for player Y. You know, player Y could score, uh, is most likely to score somewhere within their norm, uh, you know, with, with outcomes ranging kind of either high or low, uh, you know, on their relative data cloud. Uh, and then we have like one where, you know, it's just perfect. Like if we know what X scores, if we know kind of the horizontal value of X, we know exactly what Y is going to be like that never happens in, you know, NFL or really any non like physical science. You know, I think like maybe like, you know, if we were to chart like elevation versus temperature and, you know, some, you know, city or some like, you know, whatever, like that's going to be perfect correlation, but that really never exists like in actual, you know, real world stuff aside from the hard sciences. Uh, you know, in DFS, we really have more of these uh, correlations that really fall. And we don't even see correlations as tight as like 0.8. You know, we can see right here where it's just super tight uh, cloud. You know, we really see stuff that ranges 
probably between like positive six and negative, uh, sorry, positive 0.6 and negative 0.6, where, you know, even like 0.4, which I consider to be a pretty good correlation, uh, you know, it, it, we have this loose cloud that is somewhat indicative and somewhat directional, but, um, you know, it's still like there's a range of outcomes that can occur within some, uh, you know, horizontal value on X. And then I, you know, I make the note about correlation being linear. Like we have down here, this example, like a W where, uh, you know, there's clearly a pattern and, and, you know, X is super indicative of Y by some, uh, you know, nonlinear uh, function, but when forced to draw a straight line through this like W shape or W cloud of data points, you know, we, it's just a flat line. Uh, so, you know, we have that zero correlation. Um, so I think that's useful. That's, I think like a classic um, example yeah. of, you know, correlation as a scatter plot, like that, that's kind of how we want to think about it. And uh, I know our tools at advanced sports analytics have, we try to, uh, you know, go the route of charting out correlation not only as a metric, but also providing the underlying data points that produce that uh, metric. So, um, you know, I think yeah. that's something we're aiming for. No, I think that's a very good uh, bedrock for this discussion. And I did just tab over to the player correlation app and I tossed in Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, two guys who I think intuitively have a pretty high correlation. You mentioned getting up into that 0.6 range, pretty high here at 0.584. And then we can jump over to the scatter plot as well. We have Eric Belair in the chat asking, what stats are you using to compare players? We got it here on fantasy points. Do you find that to just be the best overall tool for trying to look at these correlations? Yeah. So I think the, the reason we have the drop down with, uh, you know, selection or really no selection is that when we designed the application, we did have uh, features to compare correlation between rush attempts, uh, targets, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think correlation works, considering correlations works best when there is significant amount of variance in the data points. Like, uh, you know, if you have a bunch of data points that have low amounts of variance in them, you're just going to get really, uh, you know, like really high or really low correlations that are, you know, not really a result of, uh, I think, the underlying trend that produces or supports those correlations, but just, uh, you know, a result of, you know, not... Like, you know, I saw, as I showed in that, uh, you know, the scatter plots, like you're seeing many data points that aren't like bunched together. Um, when you, when you do stuff like rush attempts or like, you know, red zone rush attempts, for example, where, you know, guys are really getting like either zero, one, two, or like maybe three, you know, you're, you're just not having a, you're, you have a very sparse data set. So I think fantasy points is really a good one to look at um, and kind of how we've designed the tool. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you mentioned kind of those thresholds here. If people are tabbing around and they see this number here, uh, 0.584, uh, can you give, you know, kind of just some general heuristics for, you know, what's a, a good correlation? Um, obviously, quarterback to wide receiver is one of the strongest ones we have, but maybe we could look at a few examples just to give people some kind of benchmarks for what kind of correlations they should be looking for. Yeah, so I think there's a qualifier that we always need to consider with correlations, and that's the sample size. You know, when we have small sample, uh, you know, if you if you try to draw a straight line through two points, like you're always going to be able to draw a straight line, right? So the correlation of any sort of player combination that only has a sample size of two is always going to be negative one, one, or zero. Uh, you know, when you have only three data points, you'll just see correlations that are extremely high uh, or extremely low. And, 
you know, we expect all this stuff, like we talk about regression to some sort of mean, like that is a phrase that just refers to the notion that, you know, like when a, when a, a rookie baseball player hit goes three for five in their first game, we don't really believe that their true, you know, talent level is 600 hitter. Uh, you know, but if they went 300 for their first 500, all of a sudden we'd now be like, all right, this guy might be a 600 hitter. You know, same thing applies to correlation. Like we see a set of players who through their first three games shows like, you know, negative 8.8 correlation, uh, you know, with, with the note, with the notion that like negative 0.8s like rarely happen for sets of players in the long term. you know, we would expect that, uh, that correlation to regress to some more likely kind of latent correlative value. Um, so, you know, an example like Adams and Rogers over the last three plus years, they have a really large sample. Uh, I would say, you know, anything at like 0.6 or even above 0.4 for like a sample that's more than definitely two seasons and even at like a season and a half. So maybe what would that be? 24 games. Like you're starting to get to pretty high correlations. Now, if you have, uh, a sample or a pair of players that have a 0.6 correlation, after four games or five games, uh, you know, I, I think we might suspect, so like, I don't know, maybe you could type in like Tua and Devon. Well, so Taysom Hill has lots of games. I was so going to set the filter though, to like maybe the past three weeks with that. Yeah, I mean, that's I would, a super small sample. I would size. guess you're going to get an air message. Um, oh, okay. Maybe not though. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. So you could set it to like, I don't know, 11, one, even. 2020. Um, yeah, I mean, so like to me, it's not like there's really a set like level of like, all right, this is all of a sudden, you know, good correlation and bad. And like, you know, I don't think we should be thinking about these things. Uh, yeah. Like 0.871, like, okay, if Michael Thomas and Taysom were to play 20 more games where Taysom was starting quarterback, we would expect over time that correlation to, uh, you know, truncate to some sort of latent correlation that, you know, it might be positive, might be 0.5, uh, might be 0.2, might be like negative 0.2. And they've just been running extremely correlative in the last, you know, whatever, uh, for four weeks. So, um, you know, I, I wish there was like, a, like, okay, once you get in between 0.2 and negative 0.2, you're dealing with guys who aren't correlated. And once you get outside of those bounds, you're all of a sudden dealing with guys that are highly correlated. Um, I don't know, to me, I think like, Point two is kind of a good, um, like soft boundary to make for yourself. Uh, once you start getting sample sizes up higher. Um, but you know, I I do think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just, you know, one kind of other concept with correlation, um, because again, like you're saying, this isn't our end all be all, this is kind of a, a tool to point us in the right direction. And one thing, you know, we're looking for in DFS are these outlier performances. What is the game that goes off? And I know when you guys talk on your show with Blend, you're talking who, what stack has the, one of the top probabilities to be the highest scoring stack on the week. And when you get into that territory of highest scoring stack, we sometimes have a piece of the pie that's now so big that it overwhelms correlation to where we could see, you know, three guys who are negatively correlated all have a ton of fantasy points. So how do you think about this idea of letting correlation guide us, but still knowing that ultimately we just want the environments where there's going to be a ton of fantasy points? Yeah, I mean, I think having price sensitivity there uh, is important. Like, you know, a 
the size of the pie, if we think about it as like an implied total, is what it is. But you know, this a let's just say 55 total pie uh, for uh, you know, or let's let's say like sorry, like a, like a 31 implied total for a side, right? Like that's a piece of the pie. That's a big pie. But if that's likely to you know be chopped up by let's say a quarterback and two receivers, and those two receivers. Uh, like we have with um, who are we talking uh, like, like, you know, Thielen and Jefferson I think are a great example this week where it's like, yeah, sure. It's a good pie. And we feel pretty good about how condensed that offense is, but you know, th those guys are expensive now. So it's, you know, even though it's a big pie uh, you know, it costs a lot of money to get access to that pie. Uh, you know, if we have a 28 total pie uh, with a seven K wide receiver, um, you know, let's say Devonte Adams. What what is he? He's up probably like eight or nine this week, and then like you know a five K receiver like Alan Lazard. All of a sudden, sure, we're talking about a smaller pie, but we're also talking about you know less salary we need to kind of get access to that pie, and you know therefore like per dollar could make sense. Um, I I we we added this combined max column uh, mid season. I find that to be super useful because it's like you know correlation is a trade off, right? Like you know, I think a lot of people discuss how when you're playing a totally uncorrelated lineup, you know, nine different players from nine different teams, you're hoping to hit, you know, some sort of nine, nine leg parlay uh, and kind of the optimal uh, outcome really for, or, you know, 90th, let's just say like 90th, 95th percentile outcome of all these different nine players. Uh, when you correlate, uh, you know, let's say just as simple as you have, you know, Nine players from eight different teams. One, uh, one is a, a quarterback plus a receiver from the same team. You know, all of a sudden, and and those two players are positively correlated in a way that you know you feel good about. Uh, you know, when you know you still have to hit an eight-leg parlay, but when one of those legs, you know, when quarterback hits their 90th percentile outcome, it doesn't guarantee that the wide receiver hits their 90th percentile outcome. Uh, you know, far from it. Like, but it just gives you. Now, all of a sudden, a 90th percentile outcome for that wide receiver isn't 10% likelihood. It's, you know, 20% likelihood or 30% likelihood, you know, depending on the degree of correlation. So that's great, right? But the trade-off is, especially when we get to double stacking, you know, two receivers on the same team with a quarterback, like there are receivers that positively correlate, but we do concede that there is a cannibalistic nature of pairing receivers together, right? Like, if Calvin uh, Ridley catches a touchdown, that's one touchdown that Julio Jones can't catch. You know, that's a drive that ends where Julio Jones doesn't score. And, you know, the, I think this is like a good example to talk through because these guys have, you know, neutral correlation, I think slightly negative. Um, yeah, I just pulled it up here. Negative 0 0.0081. Or right. 0 0.081. And so, you know, combined, they have this combined ceiling because they don't have exceptional correlation of, you know, 64.6, right? That's the most points that combined they have scored in a single game. Although we do know that like the com the ceiling of Julio plus the ceiling of Ridley, like we have our distributions app, which I'm pulling up just to get the numbers real quick. Like Julio has a 95th percentile of 36 uh, fantasy points. Ridley uh, over the last two years has had a 95th percentile of uh you know, 33. So, uh, you know, 69, nice, uh, ceiling of each of those guys, but because there's not exceptional correlation, 
there's just not like a high likelihood of both those guys reaching that 95th percentile outcome in the same game, right? Like, so basically, yeah, the, the, the way you're describing it now, it's interesting, right? Because Calvin Ridley and Julio, like you just said, inherently have a negative correlation. One of them can't be scoring when the other's scoring, but this combined max is showing us what is the likelihood, though, that their game environments or this offense can overwhelm that inherent negative correlation just because of the offense scoring a lot of points. And we're now trying to untangle those two competing forces. Is the offense and the capability of it scoring enough to outweigh the negative correlation? Right. And, um, you know, if, if you look at like what that combined max came from in the plot, Okay, so this is actually pretty good. You know, the, the combined max is this uh, data point that exists at like uh, Jones scored 27-7, Ridley 36-9. So that's like an outcome where, uh, you know, it's it made sense to have both of those guys, right? Um, as you can see, like it's really at the very edge of this kind of cluster of data points. But, you know, we have some other... Uh, instances where Ridley and Julio combined for a large max. Like I'm looking at a one at the top and I have Julio. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. You have my screen. Uh, you know, I have Julio at the top. So, you know, we have like, great. They combined for 55. You can see, uh, well, I can't hover over, but you can see uh, the second row combined fantasy points, 58.1, like great, but okay. That came from 43 from Ridley and only, you know, 15 from Julio. You know, if you could do that over again, like you don't really need Julio in that outcome. Like this is a combined total of 56, but you know, Ridley put up 18.9, Julio 36.7. And like, you know, if Ridley, this came, I guess in early, you know, mid 2020, so mid this year, but you know, Ridley now is priced where he's like regularly in the sevens and Julio, depending on if he was injured the week before is regularly in this, you know, high sixes, low sevens. Um, you know, if Ridley was priced down at five, five uh, K, you know, this is an this is an instance where it makes sense to have Ridley and Julio, but you know, now that Ridley's priced up at seven, like there's really not much value to having Ridley on top of Julio if you know their uh, kind of ceiling combined ceiling performance is one where it's just like Julio carrying all the load or Ridley carrying all the load. Uh, you know, we do have this example from really the first game of the season where they both hit in a big way. So, you know, this thing about correlation, it's like. It is a metric that shows like a trend or pattern uh, from the past. However, it isn't perfectly indicative of the future. You know, even though there is slight negative correlation, it doesn't mean that there is no possibility that both Ridley and Julio can, you know, achieve some massive ceiling. Uh, it just means you're like fighting, you know, slimmer odds. Um, and, you know, may maybe that's something you want to do. I know in Showdown, there's like a huge uh, emphasis on, you know, being different and unique. And if, you know, all these people are willing to only you know, want to only build correlative lineups because they're, you know, chasing better odds, then, you know, maybe all of a sudden you say, hey, you know, the trade-off for, uh, you know, low odds of a ceiling uh, you know, relative to kind of ownership or, you know, just the, the quality of being uniqueness maybe is valuable. But um, yeah, I think that's like a really good way to look at it. And I think one of the core columns that I'm paying attention to in our Substack, um, and you can go, or I can pull it up, I guess, on my screen. This, this one here? Uh, yeah, great. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, okay, what is the ceiling of a stack? So the way we define it, the way I define it, I guess, in this column 
is what is the combined ceiling that the receivers have achieved together? And then you have to figure if, you know, Thielen plus Jefferson achieve kind of their maximum combined value that we've seen to date. And granted, you know, with a combo like Thielen and Jefferson, I mean, they've only played together for half a season. So, you know, we're not totally confident that the seal, the combined ceiling we've seen for them to date is, you know, their actual true ceiling. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's a little dangerous to try to project, you know, what, you know, future values that we've never seen before. Uh, so, so, you know, you figure if Thielen and Jefferson reach their uh, combined ceiling, it's probably like a 90th to 95th percentile outcome for Cousins. So we calculate ceiling as the uh, uh, combined ceiling of the receivers plus the 95th percentile historic outcome of a quarterback Cousins. Add that all up. You know, I really think the ceiling uh, DKP per dollar is super valuable. Just like, you know, you can see kind of the stars I've put next to some of these stacks. And, you know, they tend to be the stacks that just have the highest ceiling per dollar. And I think that metric is a decent uh, catch all for just like the distribution of, you know, players. We have, uh, you know, some players who have, like, I think Derek Carr might be a good example who, you know, always has a pretty good median projection, but uh, leaves a bit to be desired in terms of his, you know, true ceiling. Uh, so it's a good catch all of just kind of what, what's the upside, what's kind of the high end outcome not only of a single, pl- you know, single players within kind of a set of players, but really what's the high end outcome for a combination or a pair of players. Um, you know, and it also, I think captures just the correlative properties, you know, uh, receivers that have better positive correlation, their combined ceiling is likely to be closer to the sum of the individual ceilings of players uh, that are within that pair. So like, you know, we saw Julio, what was it Julio? Ridley, I think, had a combined ceiling of like 64. I mean, that's what, like, it's still pretty high. I mean, that's like 90%, I think, of the sum of individual ceilings for, you know, Julio and Ridley. I think those those guys have the benefit of having played a lot together, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, so, you know, they've had a lot of opportunities to put together kind of high combined ceiling outcomes. But, um, yeah, I think that's like a good kind of catch-all metric that I, that I usually pay attention to a lot. Yeah, and I think the examples that you had uh, is good to dovetail us into a question that uh, I've got a lot. I've seen it debated, this idea of correlation relative to contest size. And there's this idea that, you know, correlation opens us up for more variance. You assume to win these tournaments, we want to take on more variance. But on the other side, we'll look at a winning millimaker lineup, the winner of the play action last week had zero correlation in his entire lineup. He hit the nine leg parlay for a hundred thousand dollars because in that field side, you have to get every individual thing, right? Whereas if I'm playing in a 250 person tournament, I can pay the combined cost for both Thielen and Jefferson. And if one of them gets 40 and one of them gets 10, I'm completely okay with that cost proposition. So how do you think about correlation relative to contest size, because I think it's it's an interesting discussion. Yeah, I mean, so I, I haven't looked at kind of past contest data to develop some sort of empirical, I guess, hypothesis on it. But I mean, I do think you can just kind of think it through. And to me, there's a pretty clear answer. Like, you know, so with, you think each given week, right, there is some hypothetical optimal lineup, not, you know, what, not what lineup won the milli or, you know, what lineup that someone put together was the highest scoring, but like, 
you know, hindsight, if we could go back and what is the optimal combination of players that, you know, scored the most fantasy points on a retrospective slate, you know, it probably is going to be, uh, you know, some nine leg parlay or like, you know, a single stack eight leg parlay, because, you know, like we discussed, like going back to the Julio Ridley example, um, you know, those guys in conjunction with one another are unable to really achieve their maximum personal ceilings. They're only able to achieve, you know, some combined ceiling that is like 90 to 95% of their, you know, some of their individual ceilings. That's just like a correlated lineup where, uh, you know, particularly when you get into receiver plus receiver, you are, you know, naturally, I think, lowering the ceiling of your performance. When you have two guys who, uh, you know, have, outcomes that can occur that, you know, cannibalize one another's fantasy opportunity, you're naturally, you know, limiting your true ceiling and to win a Millie maker play action type tournament, which, you know, isn't one that I like play really ever. So I don't have like a great (laughs) sense of, you know, what kind of the optimal strategy is or what strategies have worked for me. But like, you know, you think about it to win a, to win a play action, which I think is what, like 200,000 or something entries, you know, six, six figures in entries. Um, you know, you need a 99 to 100% of kind of the optimal total to win a 200 person or even a thousand or even 200, you know, 2000 person tournament. You don't really need like the 99% of the optimal or 100% of the optimal. You, you might, you know, someone might throw in a, a, you know, uncorrelated lineup and just hit the nuts, but like it's pretty unlikely. What's more likely is that the winning lineup is. 95% or 93% or 97% of kind of the combined optimal. And when you acknowledge that you don't need to get to a hundred percent, you just need to get to 95% of, you know, the optimal combination of players. Now all of a sudden you're like, all right, well, I'm less concerned about losing that upper 5%. And I'm really focused on, okay, what's going to give me the highest chance of getting to 95% of the optimal and, you know, when you uh, reduce the number of degrees of freedom to, you know, six or seven or eight, you know, uh, like naturally you're going to give yourself a better chance. Like, I mean, let's just assume like every single player has, uh, you know, 50% chance of hitting some useful ceiling. And, I, and obviously it's not that it's, you know, 5% chance or whatever, but even if it is 50, you know, the, the, the function for the probability of you putting together a nine leg parlay that hits all of those 50%, you know, it's two to the power of nine. If you look at two to the power of nine compared to two to the power of seven or six, I mean, it's like exponentially lower um, likelihood, you know, two to the power of nine versus like, you know, two to the power of six. And then when you, when you actually acknowledge that it's not a 50% chance, it's like a five or 10% chance. I mean, you're really doing yourself a favor where you are trading that upper kind of 5% of what's possible for uh you know five percent in terms of you know your score relative to the the true optimal uh, you're willing to trade that upper five percent for you know increased likelihood of reaching that 95th percentile of kind of combined outcome uh you know by twofold or i I don't know what exactly kind of you're increasing it by but yeah no that's uh that's it, super interesting. I can uh, I can feel people now. They they want to start applying some of these concepts we're talking about here. Let's start getting a little bit more specific. One that I think trips people up a lot is how running backs factor into these correlations. I think most people understand the intuitive 
correlative properties of quarterback to pass catchers. But we have Pats here saying how much changes when thinking about running back wide receiver correlations, get scared about playing them together. Uh, I got a question earlier about AJ Brown and Derek Henry together. We saw both of them have good games last week. How should we be thinking about running back wide receiver correlations? Yeah. So, I mean, there's kind of two, I think to me, like key ways in which correlations come to fruition. The most natural one that we're very familiar with, with quarterbacks and receivers is that there are plays that occur that mutually benefit uh, multiple players like pass catchers and pass throwers. Um, But I think there are other factors that contribute to correlation. Uh, I think game script is like a big one. I mean, um, you know, I was looking this morning at just like, uh cup and woods right these are guys who pretty much all plays short of you know maybe woods throwing it to cup like they are there there are a few plays that mutually benefit them however um and so it's an interesting one they have very different correlation 2020 versus 2019 um because or at least my hypothesis is that uh you know game game script can tend to kind of uh, produce correlative uh, outcomes where, uh, you know, the Rams are like, when they're ahead, they're super run heavy. So even outcomes that don't include any of Cupper Woods, you know, when uh, Aaron Donald, you know, gets a strip uh, strip sack return for a touchdown, that's an outcome that Cup and Woods don't score any points on that. However, that outcome adversely affects them in, a, in the same way, in a correlative way. Uh, you know, conversely, when Goff throws a pick six, even though, you know, none of those pl- that play doesn't involve or allow points for Woods or Cup at all, uh, you know, there it, what it does is it shifts the environment of the game in a way that stands to uh, benefit in the case of Goff throwing a pick six, uh, pick six uh, you know, penalize in the case of Donald returning a you know sack for a touchdown. Uh, the you know, uh, I guess game flow in favor of cup and wood. So if, um, if you like filter, so see how on the second date you have 2020, 1204, yeah. just put that to, uh, 2021 four. So just, you know, we're looking at, um, the, uh, really 2018 through, uh, and then could you do 2019 nine, six? So just looking at pretty much the 2019 season. Uh, great. You know, they have this like neutral, slightly negative correlation. Um, you know, you can see that these games that cup had a great game, uh, woods, you know, was pretty underwhelming. We have instances where cup scored close to 30 points. And like one of those games Woods scored 30, one of those games, he scored 10, right? These, these are kind of, you know, we even look at cup, like when he scored 20 points, we have an instance where Woods scored seven, but then one time where Woods scored, you know, 30 plus, like these are properties that are indicative of just kind of neutral to no correlation. You know, the the outcome of one player gives us little confidence one way or the other in the outcome of another. Now, if you change the date range to 2029-6 to 2021-14. So essentially just slut. Yeah, no worries. Um, 2020? Yes, 2029-6 to 2021. So just looking at the 2020 season, you know, this is a year in which the Rams have been, I think, one of wow. the more notably kind of game flow dependent offenses where, you know, these games that Cup and Woods blow up together, 
it's not because, you know, Woods is throwing the ball to Cup or whatever. It's because the game, and if you hover over the dots, I'm curious to just see, uh, you know, so that was, okay, a close win in overtime against Tampa Bay. I'm looking at the bottom two rows of that little box, right? So that was that Tampa Bay game, right? Loss, you know, the one at the bottom. Uh, you go to, yeah, the one, uh, sorry, the one at the bottom of kind of that high trio. So where Cup had like 30, yeah. Uh, loss, you know, right? So like, this is an example of how game flow and game script can cause players to correlate who, you know, we wouldn't think of being natural correlates because they don't have these outcomes that positively affect both players, uh, you know, directly, but they have, uh, they, have a, they have outcomes in a team that is highly responsive in their strategy to, you know, outcomes of the opponent is if the other team's beating them, they're going to be super run heavy uh, and both cup and woods are likely to fail. If, the Rams are losing, they, you know, switch to a fairly pass happy oriented offense and you get, you have an elevated likelihood of cup and woods succeeding. I mean, the, the run out so far this year has been kind of perfect for how, uh, you know, proving this example, but I think also the splits on the Seattle receivers, uh, 2019 versus 2020 are pretty drastic. Metcalf and Lockett had, you know, positive correlation in 2019 when Seattle was this, uh, you know, Pete Carroll was like, when they're winning, like, we're just going to run the ball. Um, and, you know, when we're losing, we're going to air it out with, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And now all of a sudden we're in 2020, you know, let Russ cook season. Um, and we're seeing super negative correlation between these guys because the, you know, whether or not Seattle's losing or winning uh, doesn't seem to have a huge impact on uh, how the team scripts and plans uh, and yeah, I mean the court, the next, so like, I mean, I, I was getting blown up, uh, you know, not, not by people, but just like, I was trying to stack Lockett and Metcalf at the beginning of the season, just being like, you know, this is great. Like, you know, two of the best receivers in the league, the best quarterback in the league, positive correlates from 2019, um, you know, and quickly over the course of the year, I probably, I didn't adjust quick enough, but, uh, you know, I was seeing like, all right, well, this is kind of a different team and the way they are scheming and running their offenses, you know, affecting how these two guys relate to one another. It also didn't ha- help that, you know, all of a sudden Metcalf costs, you know, uh, 6,000, yeah. 7,000, 8,000. Um, but this, yeah, so it, this one is hilarious too, right? Cause it shows it as this outlier where you would have gotten your money's worth paying for both of them. And you get 4.3, I believe from Metcalf. And this was the 56 point yeah. game from Lockett. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that, that's an, that's kind of, you know, where the combined total could, you could poke holes in it that there are, instances where the combined ceiling of two players is really just a massive ceiling by one player and a somewhat pedestrian game for the other. And, you know, we've seen a lot of that this year from these two guys. Um, so anyways, going back to your question though, about running backs, like, yeah, yeah obvi- obviously, you know, uh, James White and Cam Newton are going to have decent correlation because like James White, when he has a big game, well, uh, so they're going to have a small sample. Um, but, you know, if we looked back, you know, in the past to, uh, so, you know, eight games, uh, it's not, not that small actually, but you know, uh, I think the correlation would probably be higher with Brady. You know, that's an example of like, yeah, obviously James White and the quarterback correlate. Cause you know, he's a pass catcher. You probably would have to dial that back though to 2018 just cause they haven't played any games together oh, this yeah. year. Um, but you know, in the instance of Derrick Henry, so he's been an interesting one where Derrick Henry actually has positive correlation with Tannehill and you know, I think it's less clear. Like we know that Derrick Henry isn't a big pass catcher. Yeah. So like through 31 games, you know, 0.31, like that's an insanely positive correlation. 
for a running back and quarterback, which is a pair we typically don't think of. But, but that's why, like, you see why you it's important to think about correlation, not as like, oh, well, all running backs correlate with all quarterbacks this way that, you know, certain running backs correlate with certain quarterbacks. So I think the thing with Derrick Henry is like this notion that he is a, because he doesn't catch passes, he, you know, is like a, a clock kind of grinder and just like takes away opportunities from other people, I think is, you know, incorrect. Like Derrick Henry in his ceiling performances is breaking off, you know, 60, 80 yard runs where the other team just gets the ball back immediately. You know, I think Derrick Henry also has such a prominent, you know, red zone and green zone role where games in which Tannehill succeeds, you know, AKA games where he's able to push the ball downfield, you know, Tennessee is at least in the last year and a half has been fairly condensed where like when, you know, AJ Brown is kind of clearly their number one receiver in turn, especially in terms of like moving the ball downfield. You know, I think Janu is a great red zone receiver, but like he doesn't really, Janu doesn't help move the ball downfield. So like, you know, Brown uh, Davis, even to a lesser extent, you know, these are guys that receivers and of course Tannehill, you know, who are moving the ball downfield. And when they succeed, you know, they are putting Henry in a position to, you know, score fantasy points They're when they succeed, yeah. they get him to the red zone and, you know, he's accounting for, I don't know what it is, but, you know, probably some large chunk of, uh, you know, team's points. I mean, Tannehill is somewhat of a rushing quarterback. Like it's not that uncommon to see him rush for, you know, a 12 yard touchdown. And, you know, typically like a guy like Josh Allen, I think probably has negative correlation with say like Devin Singletary, but, you know, Derrick Henry, he's able to rip off these big runs where like, okay, if Derrick Henry rushes from the six, you know, his, his own 40 yard line to the opponent's 10, and then that sets up a Tannehill scramble, you know, sure. Tannehill took a touchdown from Henry or, you know, maybe Henry by ripping off the 60 yard run took away potential passing yards for Tannehill, but these also like these guys speed up the game and just put each other in a position to score these high value touchdowns at kind of an elevated rate. Um, so I think that's an interesting combination. Um, yeah. And that's the, you know, the, as I continue to try to untangle this in my head, it's like this thing where AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill on a per play level are positively correlated. If AJ Brown catches a pass, it's going to be from Ryan Tannehill. Derek Henry's going to be directly negatively correlated on a per play level because he's not touching the ball when that pass occurs, but on a game level, yeah. they could be very positively correlated. Like you said, Derrick Henry rips off an 80 yard touchdown. Other team gets a ball back. We're now in a shootout here in that rising tide lifts all boats. So I think that's the thing that's maybe trippy for this running back idea is the per play and like per game correlations. Yeah. When, yeah. When you think about correlation only in the direct, you know, player X through the ball to player Y, you know, uh, 20 yards, right. And 25 yards. Cause fractions are tough. Like, uh, you know, great. One point for the quarterback, uh, 3.5 points for the receiver, right? Everyone wins. But what you lose in that are these plays that aren't mutually beneficial, but, you know, in the direct, but they're mutually beneficial indirectly from like a game flow uh, standpoint. So I think that's, you know, something to pay attention to. And, um, you know, stuff like that doesn't really show through when you're looking because, you know, most quarterbacks negatively correlate with their running backs, but there are instances, you know, sets of players where uh, there's kind of this weird uh, 
counterfactual uh, trend. And, you know, and look, maybe, uh, I don't know, I, I have pretty good confidence in like Tannehill to Henry correlation. They've been playing together for long enough, but, uh, you know, maybe their true correlation is zero and they've just been running really hot uh, for the last year and a half. You know, it's like we never have true certainty in these numbers and, you know, roles change uh, from season to season or even within the season. So, um, so yeah. when we look at when you how do you decide um, the the three guys? Obviously, it's the quarterback uh, generally with two pass catchers here for the stack. But how would a guy like, uh, you know, Derrick Henry crack the Tennessee one? Or how do you think about it? Yeah. If there's like two very similar wide receivers, say um, maybe we're saying uh, MVS instead of Lazard. How do you think yeah. about these specific stack combinations? So. I, I typically go with just the two most expensive pass catchers, and that's usually wide receiver or tight end. But in the instance of like Naheem Hines, where he is functioning as a you know pass catching running back, I'll kind of make uh, exceptions for some of these guys. Kamara, I've done it in the past. James White, I think I did it this week. Um, yeah, I mean that's one of those things where like, look, you know, I I obviously could type it up, but like. Um, it's, you know, it, it takes some time. You got to gotta draw the line stuff. somewhere. Yeah, right. Like, and, you know, that's that's the point. I think, you know, the sub stack is supposed to be kind of a a sample of of our tools. But, um, you know, the, the the tool is there where, you know, anyone who, who wants to can, you know, look up the correlation of really any player so long as they've played in, in you know, a couple games together. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think, like, you know, we can stick on Tennessee, like, uh you know, naturally from kind of their both receivers, like Tannehill Brown Davis is the stack that makes the most sense, you know, if you're just like looking at pass catchers, but if you pull up Brown and Davis, like they actually have negative correlations such that, you know, I actually, the price makes it really tough this week to go like Tannehill Henry plus Brown. Um, But, you know, like, Derrick Henry has better correlative properties with Brown than Davis does. So even though, you know, it kind of goes against what we think is normal for like a stack, uh, based on correlation, you know, I might be more inclined to go, uh, you know, Henry plus receiver plus Tannehill. Um, I think, you know, a column I, I try to look at and, uh, you know, with this stuff is like, all right, is this a team we want to double stack or single stack? And, um, you know, I kind of try to look at the difference between the average double correlation column and average single correlation column. So, you know, as we discussed at the top of the show, correlation is between two, um, you know, two vectors or, or a, you know, a pair of players. So there's really no good way to calculate what is the correlation between three players. The way I try to address it is what I call triangular correlation. It's, you know, we have three players, uh, Tannehill, Brown Davis, what is the average correlation between all combinations of those three? So, right, Tannehill plus Brown, Tannehill plus Davis, Davis plus Brown. And then the average single correlation is just the average correlation between Tannehill, average correlation between Brown. Now, we have some instances. I would guess Tennessee is probably a good one. I'm trying to find them. Oh, sorry. I just sorted by average double correlation. They're down here in the 14th row now. Got it. Uh, yeah, right. So Tennessee, like they have, um, you know, this this pretty good single correlation where kind of the average between Tannehill and Brown or Tannehill and Davis, you know, is this 0.32. But when we 
consider the notion of combining Brown plus Davis, you know, add their correlation to this average mix, you see the correlation drop off a good bit. Uh, that is going to be the case for, you know, 90% of teams. There are a few teams where like the correlation between two receivers is better than the average correlation between each receiver and his quarterback. But, you know, there are instances like I'm looking at, uh, you know, I think Arizona was one I kind of tabbed as a spot where, um, like, I'm just not interested in double stacking Arizona this week. So they're at the bottom. Uh, well, A, I mean, Hopkins and, and Murray, you would think like, you know, alpha receiver and his quarterback would have good positive correlation. Like so far this year, they've had super neutral correlation, but Kirk and Hopkins in particular have had super bad. I think it's like negative 0.5 something correlation. Like that is a double stack that because of that negative correlation between receivers doesn't mean like they can't both get there, but I think you're just going up against pretty long odds for them to get there uh, together. I think it's a stack that makes more sense to pick one of Hopkins or Kirk and not try to force Hopkins and Kirk together. Cause so far this year, they haven't shown the ability to go off uh, together kind of in the same game. Um, so, so I want to, yeah, no, that's, it's super interesting. I have one other kind of more macro concept question I want to do. And then I think we can wrap up with maybe trying to pick one of these trickier spots and then maybe using the tool to help inform us building a stack that makes sense. Um, but the question I had, and Eric Blair had asked this, and it's about this idea of bringbacks. And, you know, it's pretty common. Everyone knows, you know, the single or the double stack and you bring it back with one player from the other team. I think intuitively it makes sense, but we've seen some situations. The Jets really come to mind as this team who's giving up a lot of production to opposing offenses, but the bringbacks haven't quite been getting there in the way that can really win you tournaments. So how do you think about bringbacks, both from kind of like a macrative correlation standpoint and maybe with specific outliers like this Jets team that doesn't appear to be trying to win football games? Yeah. So I guess for me, I'm, I'm less, well, you know, first of all, price is a big thing. Like the Jets bring back, uh, even though we know they can't put up a lot of points, their receivers have been so cheap, uh, particularly Mims and Perriman, such that, you know, even if they have a super low total, uh, it's a little more manageable to bring them back. But that's, you know, one thing I'm looking at is just like, what's the total of the other side, you know, the, the bad side, right? The team, the side we don't want to stack uh, team, but we, you know, we might, the, the bring back side, right? Um, if it's a pretty cheap side, um, I think it's more manageable. Uh, if they have a super low total and it's an expensive side. So like I've kind of avoided playing Crowder as a Jets bring back because you know, for him to to pay off at his price point, like the Jets would need to achieve some total that's above and beyond like what's projected by Vegas. So that's something I'm looking at. Um, I, I really think correlatively, like I'm less interested in what the correlative properties are of the Jets and more interested in the correlative properties of the team that we're stacking. So in our correlation app tool, and if you could kick it over to me, I could kind of walk us through it. Uh, we have a feature where you can look at correlation of a player against the opposing uh, offense as a whole by typing oh. in OPPT offense. Um, or you could look at like, so I, I like going to offense. Um, so that is 
the correlation of Russ versus the combined fantasy points of the entire opposition's offense. So, you know, as we can see, like no player obviously puts up, puts up 100 fantasy points, but offenses as a whole, you know, against Seattle put up, you know, th- these range of points. And you can see like, so correlation is never causal. Like we we don't have really the ability to say, although like with some relationships, we, we probably have a hunch that like the offense performing well, and, it, and I'm looking back to 2018 kind of even. So this is when kind of they were in, uh, you know, don't let Russ cook unless we need him to cook mode. Um, you know, we can make the assumption that like when opposing offenses put up a bunch of fantasy points that force Russ to, you know, be more pass oriented, you know, force the Seahawks to be more pass oriented. So we see like this good positive correlation. Um, so you could get opposing offense. You could also look at like opposing uh, running backs, for example, but I do think it's a little tricky looking at specific positions, running, running back and quarterback are one of the more trustworthy uh, ones. But like, you know, when you're looking at opposing receivers, well, like, okay, what if, Russ played the Chiefs and like Travis Kelsey had a huge game and, you know, Ty Hill and Watkins were quiet, but, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey had a big game. Like, you know, so you can get stuff kind of messed up, I think, when you try to focus too narrowly on position, but like running back, there's, I think, less variance into how, uh, you know, heavily teams lean on running backs aside from some of these outliers that are super like run heavy, uh, you know, w- whatever. But, um, can you do uh, Mahomes? Because I think, you know, the Chiefs have been one of these teams that seem to put up points in in any instance, um, but the bringbacks sometimes have been uh, tricky yeah, there. Sure. So, like, Mahomes has this negative, and I can – so the, the, the plot is always going to look at the first guy in the list. So it's okay. plotting Wilson, so i got to go Mahomes. Uh, you know, we can see that in Mahomes' best game, some of his best games, like the uh, – oh, that's opposing running backs. Um, you know, we can see that – Okay, so he's probably got positive correlation, it looks like. Um, but it's still to a lesser degree than Russ, you know? Uh, like, Russ has this big 0.45 correlation that's, you know, more than twice that of Mahomes. Um, you know, it, it is a side that when you're stacking the Chiefs, because there is this more neutral correlation, like, we can be a little more team-specific. I think, like, an interesting one is, like, back when Lamar Jackson was really good, Um he had this negative correlation with the opponent where uh, and that, and that kind of fit the narrative, right? That like Lamar and the Ravens were really good when they're playing from ahead. So, you know, these games where Lamar's in the thirties, the Ravens, and they had a good defense. So like, they're just not giving up opposing fantasy points a whole lot, but like when Lamar is having a great game, like they're definitely not giving up fantasy points. Uh, You know, I think an interesting one I'm thinking about this week is like Fitzpatrick, um, has had, you know, somewhat weird correlation. I mean, if we remove this data point and you try to draw, you know, a straight line between, um, let's see if I can get this right. There's cool features in like these, uh, uh, I don't know. Anyways, you know, if we try, if we try to draw a straight line between these data points that I have boxed, like for the most part, that line would just go like kind of straight down. Right. So like games in which Fitzpatrick does super well, uh, I don't think we necessarily need to bring back someone on the other side. Um, so that's, you know, an interesting example this week, right? Miami, if Fitzpatrick starts, uh, you know, has this super high spread where we're like, Oh, you know, I don't know if I want to play Fitzpatrick cause I'm worried that 
Cincinnati's not going to be able to do anything. And because quarterbacks, you know, only pass when they're uh, pass a lot when they're behind, you know, I'm worried that if Cincinnati does poorly, Fitzpatrick can't get there. Well, like, I don't know. Data would suggest that Fitzpatrick's capable of 30 plus fantasy points, uh, you know, even when the opposition is, you know, not putting up huge totals. And actually, when Fitzpatrick does terribly, uh, you know, the opponent is actually kind of getting there in a big way, uh, you know, versus a guy like Russ. And so we have him with Tampa just because it's splits by team. So uh, he's actually been a little more negative with Miami. Uh, so yeah, like Russ, Russ versus uh, Fitzpatrick this week, really both game, both teams with like high totals, relatively speaking, uh, not the highest, but pretty good. Uh, you know, Russ is a guy that because of that positive correlation um, and especially I think I discussed with Blender, like we are kind of suspecting that maybe Seattle is going back a little bit towards their run heavy game script dependent tendencies that I have less confidence in Russ really having a big game unless the opposition is having a good game as well. Um, Fitzpatrick, on the other hand, you know, I feel like has a better chance of getting there uh, even if the opposition fails massively. And, you know, for that reason, doesn't mean like, you know, don't play Russ and only play Fitzpatrick. It just means that with Fitzpatrick, we might be a little more comfortable in, you know, going Fitz, Parker, Gasecki, which is a really correlative stack. Like Gasecki and Parker for two pass catchers have exceptional correlation uh, and both have exceptional correlation with Fitzpatrick. You know, I, I would feel okay going those three guys, no Cincinnati guys. I mean, I happen to just like the Cincinnati, like Higgins, uh, Boyd, AJ Green are all pretty cheap this week. So like, you know, I, I don't think like, you know, never play an opposition with Fitzpatrick, but we should be okay. I think with not running back anyone with Fitzpatrick as we're with Russ, you know, if you buy that, it's truly kind of still let Cus let Russ cook, um, you know, maybe like, I'd be interested to just see what his correlation with uh, opponents is. Uh, still super high. So, you know, I don't know. It, it does kind of feel like if I'm playing, you know, Russ Metcalf or Russ Lockett um, and Russ has a big game, you know, it seems you, like likely you, that you want someone on the other side. Yeah, you need the forces on the other side to really push him to that ceiling game. That's super cool. I want to get an, uh, get this up on its feet in practice here. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to throw out a stack situation that I think is an interesting spot this week. And then we can, you know, use the tool to build it out. I got a lineup up here. Uh, it is, a, I, we'll, we'll put this in the play action. You know, we'll, we'll try to win a lotto <laughs> with our correlative lineup and, uh, and really thumb our nose at the lotto players. But let, I want to talk about the bears this week because, we have Mitch Trubisky getting the start. We have David Montgomery, who's cheap and projecting well and is going to be popular. Uh, Allen Robinson's going to catch a decent amount of ownership. No one needs to be sold on Allen Robinson. And then we have a few other interesting situations with the secondary pieces. I think Darnell Mooney is interesting. We have Cole Komet now, who has kind of passed Jimmy Graham uh, as the main tight end there based on last week's data. And he's yep. really cheap as well. So if I threw that stack at you and we are starting to consider, Hey, can I use David Montgomery in a stack here? Or do we want to go to these ancillary pass catchers? How would we start um, figuring out how to build our bears stack? Yeah. So the bears are kind of tough this year from a correlation tool standpoint, because they've split quarterbacks. So mm. if we just filtered on to 2020, and I know there's a game in there with Tart Cohen, a few games up there up top, but like, 
you know, if we look at his correlation with Trubisky, we only have a five game sample is positive. Uh, if we look at Foles as well, because Foles has played a few games, uh, we've got negative correlation with Foles. So, I mean, maybe, you know, you make the case that, hey, uh, you know, Trubisky playing is a good thing for Montgomery that, you know, they positively correlate, uh, even though it's a small sample. I wouldn't say that they like have great positive correlation, but I think based on the samples we have, you can make the case that they're better correlates than uh, Foles and Montgomery. So the thing I was looking at this week, because you know, I think this is a kind of a way I, I try to start building lineups is thinking about who are some of the key like leverage pieces and what I want to do with them and how either I want to gain leverage against them or try to think about ways to be like, all right, I want Montgomery and then to be different from all the people that just have Montgomery, I want an extra piece. Um, you know, you mentioned Allen Robinson, like I was looking at him, like, these are just two guys that we, uh, well, this is 2020, but if we take kind of the longer form on these two guys, uh, you know, I, I think we don't really want to consider lineups that have both Montgomery and Allen Robinson. Um, I mean, there's the ownership piece, which you mentioned, you know, if those are likely to be the two most popular guys, uh, you know, taking on both of them doesn't seem to differentiate us that much. Um, you know, we have this negative correlation. Like if we remove this data point, um, curious to see, so that's 20, that's like this most recent week. So uh, if we go like to 11, uh, 24, uh, yeah, I mean, look at how, like just if we remove, and so that's, you know, one thing to note about correlation is it tends to, the value tends to be upweighted or downweighted by outlier outcomes. Um, you know, we're not talking about leverage from like a DFS ownership standpoint, but uh, you know, mathematically, like leverage is a metric that's used to describe how distant data points are from like the relative center. So, uh, anyways, like high leverage data points tend to shape. Uh, you know, correlation or like linear regression is a popular kind of regression technique that is correlation based. And anyways, no need to go there. So if we remove, uh, you know, just last week in which Robinson and Montgomery both had really great games, that was that uh, was a prime time, either Monday or Thursday or Sunday, I forget. Like these guys have had really negative correlation. So I do think, you know, if we if you are hand building, you know, you want to say, uh choose one of those guys, or if you're building an optimizers, I, I think like a really good rule to have would just be like max one of Montgomery Robinson. Like, sure, there are ways that, you know, it's not impossible for them to both get there, but it's pretty long odds. I mean, you know, in games which Montgomery has gone over 20 points, like Robinson just hasn't gotten there. And in games which Robinson has had great games, you know, Montgomery hasn't gotten there. So, um, you know, I think if you uh, yeah. So anyways, I mentioned that rule and like, I think Robinson is a great, you know, if Montgomery is going to be super chalky, like Robinson is a great leverage piece because, you know, for, for you to succeed by not, and, and not having Montgomery, right. Montgomery needs to fail. And the data would suggest that when Montgomery fails, it actually, you know, has a really, or a much higher likelihood of Robinson succeeding. So like you really kind of double up in your benefit there by having Robinson instead of Montgomery. So if you're, if the stack you were kind of thinking of was the route through the passing attack, um, you know, I yeah. think going Robinson, yeah, would be a good way to go. And 
And so now what if I said to you, I, I want to get another guy in this double stack and I'm looking at either Darnell Mooney or punting it off at tight end with Cole Komet. I, I know the sample size on Komet is going to be super small. He's also really, really cheap. So maybe the correlation doesn't come into play as much, but how would you help me uh, make heads or tails of that decision? Yeah. Um, like you said, the sample size with Komet is super small. Um Anthony Miller has good positive correlation, but in 2018 and 19, I think his role was drastically different from what it's been this year. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I would take a look at how guys correlate with Robinson. It's tough. The the Bears team, like I said, is really tough because they have had kind of changing roles throughout the season. Um, You know, the data would suggest that Mooney has pretty neutral correlation with Robinson Miller positive uh, kind of just interested to see what that looks like from a plot standpoint. Um, yeah. So it seems like, yeah. and I, you know, I think I'd also just like want to look at how uh, Miller Darnell Mooney commit correlate now that we've kind of sussed out how they correlate with Robinson, maybe how they correlate with Trubisky and Montgomery, you know, we would want to upweight guys who positively correlate with Trubisky and negatively correlate with Montgomery. So yeah, both, uh, they both have, I mean, God, Chicago is super messy this year. Um, because they have had guys moving in yeah. and out. Um, and the commit thing, it's it's tough. I mean, this was his first game where he kind of operated as the tight end one. So let's yeah. uh I, I know I, I threw us a curveball. I'm gonna keep moving <laughs> us along here though. Let's let's sure. put in Komet. I, I think he's sure. uh, an interesting play just because Aikens in that punt range is gonna be really popular. Um yeah. so we get the correlation, we get rid of tight end, we do it cheaply, and then the big question now would be, do we bring it back here? Oh, I got to get my side on the screen. <laughs> do we bring it back with a Detroit Lion? You know, it's tricky because we don't want to run a double tight end. So that kind of takes Hawkinson off the board. It probably funnels us to Marvin Jones or just not bringing it back. How would you think about that in this case? Yeah, um, so looking like... And I'm going to go back to 2018 because Robinson and, you know, so now we, I think we've established that like, sure we have commit, but like the core pieces here are Robinson and Trubisky. uh, And we really kind of want to key off of our most prominent pieces, which tends to be quarterback, I I think is kind of key one. And then, you know, our best receiver or or tight end, if you know, you're going Kelsey or Waller uh, is kind of key too. So you know, Trubisky has positive 0.33 correlation over 33 games dating back to 2018 with opposing offenses. Robinson, negative 0.125, so somewhat neutral. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one one thing about this game is, um, you know, it is really not like neither of these teams have exceptionally high totals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but they're not like low, right? You're kind of just building this lineup saying like, you know, I can see that neither of these totals are super high, but if the game just goes massively over, right. You know, I want to stand to benefit from that. So, you know, I think because the game is kind of tight enough from a uh, spread standpoint, and also, you know, these guys are cheap and somewhat low total uh, teams, you know, we really do, 
need this game to go massively over in order to succeed. And I really think the only way it does go massively over is if both teams are really pushing it. So, I mean, between kind of positive correlation with Trubisky and opposing offenses and uh, like I said, that need for the game to just go massively over in order for this lineup to work. You know, I think we definitely have to bring back, um, you know, one, at least one guy on the opposition, um, you know, and then I think there's a, you know, an element of trying to figure out who that guy is. So, you know, Jones is going to be tough because he's been wide receiver too. So, you know, this is an example where like, even though Galladay's not playing, you know, I think Marvin Jones role this week is going to be more similar to Kenny Galladay's role over the past two years mm. than it has been to his own role over the past two years. Does that kind of make sense yeah. and kind of follow? So yeah, like, you don't want to look at his correlation in the wide receiver two role. You want to look at it in the wide receiver one role. Right, exactly. So, you know, I can plug, I mean, I'll plug Marvin Jones in there just, you know, for good measure. Um, and then I'll plug in opposing offense. You know, we can also look at opposing uh, QB. I think that's just like, you know, good one to key off of and sort. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, all these guys have, neutral to maybe slightly positive uh, correlation with the opponent. So Marvin Jones kind of wide receiver two. Marvin Jones actually has the best correlation with the opponent. Uh, and then kind of Hawkinson and Galladay in between. Um, so I don't know. The, the, the correlation is not giving us great sense of kind of who, uh, you know, who, who we would need on the other side. I mean, we could also look at, I'm not sure if Deandre Swift is, I think he's like got cleared to play, but hasn't been practicing. Is that yeah, right? I I don't think he's gonna play. He seems uh, unlikely. Okay, well, he's got ne- he's got yeah. negative correlation anyways. So you know maybe even if he does, we say, well, okay, I don't want to play DeAndre Swift. You know, I gotta go. Uh, you know, Hawkinson or Jones. Um, I mean, if I was building Jones, uh, well, I'm sorry. Well, you wouldn't really play Hawkinson, right? Because if we're playing Komet, yeah. like I don't. So uh, you know that one kind of answers itself, but um. You know, I do think, yeah, looking at how guys, you know, if, if we're considering kind of a set of players to bring back and decide who we want on the bring back, you know, looking at how players correlate with uh, how those bring back options correlate with the opponent is valuable. Or if like they're two different positions, like let's say, you know, we were be- truly between like Swift and Jones, we might go like, okay, how does Trubisky correlate with opposing uh, running backs versus opposing wide receivers and say like, Oh wow. Trubisky has this great correlation with opposing receivers, not so much running backs. So, you know, even though Swift is kind of this pass catching running back, you know, I'm still going to show more favoritism towards wide receiver. I mean, I think looking at tight ends is, is, is somewhat useless just because teams manage their tight ends like so differently just based on who their tight end is. So you know, I don't know if there's much to be kind of gained there. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, in, in fashion uh, of this show, you know, as Blender would say, you can just fill out this lineup with whoever you want, you know, play whoever you want after this. But I just wanted to start us off here with a lineup to just kind of think about how we would um, think about these trickier situations. And uh, I think there's some cleaner situations this week. Like you mentioned, we see Woods and uh, Cup. They're both really cheaply priced strong correlation this year, pretty clean stack. So have some fun messing around with the advanced sports analytics tool. They have the app here. I get the sub stack in my inbox each week. You'll get this 
table here from Stuart. Anything else I'm missing from people? I can tell they are excited to check out the tools you guys have going on over there. Yeah, I mean, we we focus mostly on the correlation today, but you know, we have other. We have kind of a traditional projection system. Uh, you know, the Substack. I, I tend to include some plots on like uh, usage trends, and that we have this volume efficiency tool that uh, you know allows you to kind of chart trends uh, over time. So I was looking at it last night, and you know, was just one thing I think that jumped out to me as being interesting was how the target share of both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams is trending down while uh, Robert Tanya is trending up. You know, I don't know if that's just noise or if the Packers and Rogers are like actively kind of scheming uh, away from their running backs. Now that um, what's his name? Lazard has returned from injury, but uh, it's, you know, I think it's just a, a useful, uh, tool where you can kind of visualize and see like how, uh, you know, different usage metrics trend. So you can see here how like Jones and Williams are trending down and really Tanyan's been on, on the upswing uh, over the past four weeks. So, you know, stuff like that uh, available on the site uh, to hopefully kind of supplement your lineup building um, around kind of yeah. the traditional projection system. So uh, yeah, feel free to check it out guys. Uh, if that makes sense for you. Yeah, someone was asking, is the Substack for this week out yet? I hadn't seen it in my inbox. I'm probably holding you up from it. Yeah, right now. no, you, you're exactly right. Uh, I'm going to work on it after this. And uh, yeah, maybe I, I can like open up access to the correlation tool for you know the rest of the day or whatever if people who are not ASA subscribers but have kind of been interested in what uh, we've been shown in this stream want to check it out. Um, you know, I'm happy to open that up and uh, you know let people poke around with that for. Uh, the next day or two before Sunday. Yeah, I'll also put it in the show notes and uh, and get it out on Twitter as well. Uh, if he is going to open that up for you guys to mess around with it, that would be super cool. Uh, appreciate you guys coming out. I know sometimes, uh, you know, my goal with these shows is to do more evergreen stuff. You know, I I, I see some people in there that, uh, you know, they want the picks and plays. I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible. There are a million other shows you can go watch if you want someone to give you the plays of the week. That's not what we do here. I like to bring on smart people. I like to get better at DFS in ways that we can apply it week after week after week. So that is what we did. And I really appreciate Stuart coming on. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Start Gibson, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, just created a Twitter uh, this this year. This first year I've had Twitter. So uh, yeah, we fun to we need to we need to boost Stewart's <laughs> followers. He is, uh, you know, the the phrase gets bandied about maybe a little too loosely. I will say it in this case, he is criminally underfollowed. You guys will need to check him out on Twitter. I uh, tweeted out his handle uh, for this show, and we'll get it out there. So please follow Stewart, doing great work at Advanced Sports Analytics. You guys can catch him. Uh, weekly with Blender as well, one of my favorite shows on the Roto Grinders Network. Please subscribe to the channels if you have not done so yet. We appreciate you. We will be back on Monday for our DFS lineup review. Let's keep the good times rolling, guys. We'll see you next week.